Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Goddess Entrepreneur. A goddess entrepreneur sees her business as a spiritual devotion and service to the collective. In this podcast, you can expect to learn all about feminine-led, soul-mission-based business and specifically online business. Here we see entrepreneurship as a major tool on the path to self-mastery and liberation. I'm your host, Mari Grace Theory, and today I am interviewing a dear goddess entrepreneur, Maria Stark. I'm so excited. I know her as an amazing singer and songstress and a loving guide for women opening up their voice and cultivating a relationship with the muse on the rose-petaled path. She is a musician, the founder of the Temple of the Muse, and someone who is unapologetically in love with creativity, which I really admire. So welcome, Maria, to the show. I'm so grateful for you being here today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's a joy to be here with you. Cool. So something I like to ask everyone that I talk to is, what's your sun, moon, and rising sign? And human design, if you know it. I am a Manny Jenny to four, I think, in human design. I don't know much more than that. That's a lot. <laughs> that tells me a lot. <laughs> I'm a man in Jenny and astrology. I am a Cancer Sun, Aries Moon, and Scorpio rising. Oh goodness! <laughs> <laughs> and I just have to say, you look like a Cancer Sun, Aries Moon, Scorpio rising. What makes you think so? <laughs> Based on your framing, how do you think? Well, the- just because I have been in close encounters with you, but like close online encounters. <laughs> that I definitely can feel the depth of the Cancer sun and the fire of the Aries moon. And then visually, I feel like people with Scorpio energy usually have dark hair and piercing eyes. So that's kind of what I see. (laughs) Hopefully that's not too weird. (laughs) So I'm excited to have you on because a topic that I talk about all day long and on this show is this whole concept of a soul mission based business and as i mentioned when i was talking about you, you're just unapologetically in devotion to creativity and i see that your business at least to me outside looking in your business looks like a spiritual devotion and a service to the collective and i've been inside your container and so i wanted to have you on because to me you completely embody a goddess entrepreneur And I really wanted to hear from you and have you share with other fellow goddess entrepreneurs, other people on that spiritual devotional business path, which may sound an oxymoron, but it's possible. And you're a shining example that it's possible. So where did you start out in the process of putting your soul offerings out into the world? Thanks for asking. A little bit of a background around me. I went to school for music therapy in Southern California at Chapman University. And so right away, I went to school to study music because I was passionate about music and theater and expressive arts growing up. And so I found a program that was aligned with that. At first, I thought I was going to do music performance, but I actually found music therapy to 
be more robust in terms of working with the nature of a human being. And so my first semester at school, I discovered the music therapy program and I actually worked with someone who was a doula who worked with people at the very beginning of life and at the very end of life. And her orientation to working with music as a bridge for souls was just mind blowing to find in this little liberal arts. Wow contemporary college environment, we have this person being like, yo, music is a shoehorn of souls. And it felt very activating for my 18 year old mind. I was like, oh, finally, someone's putting language to the thing that I have felt to intuitively as an artist, because, you know, as a young person, I was having all these really magical state experiences with music that were indescribable. They were overwhelming. They felt like I was touching the heart of God's spirit with art and having all these moments, but they were very personal. We weren't talking about them. And then suddenly I was in an environment where we were being invited to talk about them out loud and philosophize about them and apply that to clinical practice, which was mind-blowing to me. And so I was grateful again to just immediately find something that I was passionate about that hit the lightning bolt for me of like, yes, there's something that is being able to bring the ineffable mystery into contemporary language to build bridges in a modern world. So it started there for me. I was like, oh, I'm studying something ancient and putting emergent vocabulary to it and finding ways to build, to relate with people and see if it sparks something for them the way that it was sparking for me. So when I graduated college, I had a degree in music therapy. And then, so I just started trying to find gigs as a music therapist, which is as a like 23 year old being like, okay, I'm here. <laughs> My little flagship of creativity as a consciousness thing, but I was young and I was finding jobs working with children at first and people with special needs and also working with adults who were at end of life. So that was the earlier days. But during my twenties, I was doing vocational practice that was very service-based and applying the skills that I had been learning. And while I was growing inside of me, this passion for serving a wider community beyond the special needs community, which I love those communities. And it was very pure in essence and getting to work with people kind of in a very close and sweet and intimate and innocent way. But as a woman and as a songwriter, I was deeply engrossed in my own psychedelic consciousness process and my womb healing and energetic psychology. I mean, these were the things that I was looking to grow myself. And the more experience I had in growing with frameworks that were serving to put language to the evolution of consciousness, emotional development, spiritual maturity, those things were really bringing me a lot of fulfillment and joy. And so I wanted to start then creating music therapy inspired and influenced programs for my peers and for artists who wanted to hang out in some of these rooms with me. And that's where it started. I just started to experiment with workshops and different collaborative workshop spaces and starting to be invited to share music in different workshop spaces where we were doing adult human development and then finding for myself as a facilitator bridges that I could begin to make between the kind of facilitation tools that I had in my magic music therapy box 
and my love of creative writing and facilitating creative writing for others. And then all of these adult human development stuff. So as it started off like really short, you know, being invited as a special guest, trying one new thing, putting on one workshop at a time, expanding to three workshop series, expanding to six week workshop series, expanding to a three month program, and then expanding to a nine month program, which is the program I've been running that you were a part of voice of my womb, which is my flagship full spectrum immersive workshop for women that want to work with the womb and some of the juicy human development stuff that I love so much in creative process. So that's like a little bit of a ride. It started just like, what do I love? What's growing me up? How do I learn how to practice? And then doing short little practices that eventually developed into a longer curriculum project. Super cool to hear kind of where it started or how it started and how it's going. And it's really cool. One of the things that I was thinking about when you were first talking about the way that music affects people is I just learned this the other day and I don't remember what it's called, but it's, you know, when music gives you chills. Oh, yeah. I read this thing and maybe this isn't true, but I was like, how is this not true? Or how is this true? It's just that some people don't experience that. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Like apparently the ability to be so moved by music that you feel chills is something that's unique and not all humans feel. I thought it was just a human thing, but I get a chill when the intro to a movie starts. (laughs) It makes sense that there might be some people that don't experience it. I wonder what the percentages or what the tests have shown. Right. I know speak to that kind of visceral experience, but yeah, maybe not every person. Of course, it can't. <laughs> it's not like every person can have the same experience, but I just thought that was interesting because I'd never even considered it. I'm just like, when something moves you and gives you chills, it's yeah. How do you explain that? How do you put words to that? But yeah, as I'm listening to you, I kind of just want to say good for you, Maria, for doing what you love and following the thread. Seriously, because we're all so hopeful when we're young. Like I remember when I was 18, I was like, I'm going to be an artist. And then somewhere along the way, I was like, no, I need to make money. And I didn't understand that I could do them together. Like I could do both of those things. And of course, there's environmental factors to that. And my family didn't understand the whole be an artist thing. And so I kind of had that influence of like, how are you going to make money as an artist? And so it sounds like maybe you didn't have that or you pushed through it if you did. But yeah, I just want to say thank you for following the thread and being an example because it's inspiring to me because now I'm about to turn 35. And yeah, I just want to make art. (laughs) That's just what I want to (laughs) do. Now is the best time ever to make art a vocational practice or even have part-time vocational practice. I mean, I think because I got into school for facilitation and education and that it happened to be art-based, that that was like a unique sort of angle that not everyone wants to be a teacher and not everyone wants to be a facilitator. And I don't think everyone needs to do that. It tends to be a flow of income available through that. And that was a fortunate happenstance because I love being a facilitator and an educator. And I think that the tools that are available to artists now are so awesome. 
(laughs) And there are just so many ways to go about approaching making income or generating a stream of feedback and support. Not that every artist needs that in order to be a successful or fulfilled artist, but now is a time more than any other time, I think, that it's accessible to more people. Mm-hmm. And I think the challenges that artists face at this time are challenges of attention because where our attention is a commodity. And so mm-hmm. we have to kind of like have a battle against the forces that want to occupy our attention for totally. commerce sake in order to protect and preserve our space in order to have an authentic creative process that isn't just influenced by some desire to make money about it. And so Mm -hmm. it comes with its own set of challenges. It's the gift and the challenge of being born in a time where anything's possible. (laughs) True that. True that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Because usually it starts in in a really nice place. You're like, I want to make something. And then sometimes what happens is there's a positive response. And so you're like, do I need to do the same thing again? And then maybe you do. And it doesn't get the same response. And you're like, huh, (laughs) did I do that wrong? And I don't know. I just see a lot of creative people getting caught up in either wanting to please their audience and trying too hard to do that and failing to do that, or it's like this opposite thing happens where they have people that just literally put them into a box and then they're kind of forced to keep creating the same things over and over again and they are maybe not really enjoying it anymore and they find out years later and they're like, ah. Yeah. Again, we have instant feedback loops and because social media is designed to be a popularity contest and this sort of aspiration towards the algorithmic blessings and then everything's always changing and then something that worked one time doesn't work the other time and then an artist can have a shadow crash and collapse identity level certainly i have if you don't have a strong sense of self the algorithm yeah. gods can make you feel like shit. Again, it's the strange cost, I think, of playing the game. And I think for me as an artist and an entrepreneur, I'm in an ongoing negotiation and balancing checks and balance with myself is like, what am I doing? What are the intentions and the orientations of what I'm doing? I mean, I give myself a little space to experiment with social media and being a storyteller in that avenue, because it is a platform that has access to billions of people. And that's a big stage. And I would love to participate in a way to be able to communicate with this huge audience. And so I do enjoy experimenting with what are the things. But as soon as I start thinking about that more than what brings me joy as an artist, then I've succumbed to different parts of my nature that aren't necessarily going to be sustaining me the long term. They might be short term gains, but what are the long term costs? But then if I'm avoiding it entirely, then I'm not actually getting to benefit from this unique moment in time of the tools that are available to me as a creative. And so playing with that is what every artist and entrepreneur, I think, just has to go through the process. There isn't an entrepreneur that I know that doesn't have some fucking relationship with social media and the process of like, 
finding people through there and having creative energy, being part of that and having to balance their own attention and energy fields in order to not overgive in those spaces in a way that compromises our integrity and our values and draws focus from the thing that we're innovating and discovering. But I also have found that with social media has actually, because I took it on as a creative practice, as an arena to play in and as a stage to show up to, has brought out parts of my creative voice that I wouldn't probably have found otherwise. So again, there's gifts and challenges with every tool and it's a vocational hazard. So yeah, fire, <laughs> you can have light, you can cook dinner or you can burn your house down. <laughs> yeah. But I think that creative entrepreneurs are creative. We're creators, we're innovators. We are part of our experience in this time is to learn about these things and learn about ourselves in relationship to these things and can contribute something of value in response to that discovery. And so I think that it's good. I have to take regular pauses. I take long pauses from social media and from just being on the internet completely so I can calibrate to organic time and to organic rhythms. Mm -hmm. And that's way that I manage that when as soon as I notice I'm being fried, like my adrenals are cooked and I'm just like, oh, am I extracting my own yin in order to please the algorithm gods? Oh, a little bit. <laughs> Let's pivot. Yeah. That's what I've been in for the past three months. And I'm kind of having a hard time going back. <laughs> just like, what do I do here? But one of my guests a few episodes back just said, okay, come to Instagram or social media to create, not to consume. And so I've been trying to frame it in that way and just not consume too much. But yeah, the next thing you know, you've scrolled for 30 minutes and you're just like, ah, <laughs> get me out of here. <laughs> this isn't what I came here to do. Like, oh no, I feel depressed and anxious about the world and questioning everything. I'm like, oh, that's exactly what that thing's designed for. I'm like, right. oh crap. Which is motivating for me to contribute something beautiful and inspiring in those right. spaces. Because it's like, oh, I got to put some juicy medicine in those spaces while people are in the spell. And it's one of the spaces. It's not the only space. There's sure. a lot of places to be. Yeah. And you invite people into one of those beautiful spaces, which is a voice of my womb. And you are an incredible facilitator. And I don't know how many years you've been offering that, but I heard about it like two days before you were starting. And I just like read the description. I was like, I'm in and not really knowing what I was getting myself into. And it was just incredible. Like all of it. I've re-watched so many of the classes again too. And it was just really wholesome and just like free space to create and witness other women and just like go into that journey. And it was really nice to have that. And it was like totally free. I mean, free of social media pressures, right? Just like we're in our own safe container. We've left that space and now we're all together. We have our shared journey that we're on and it was really beautiful. So yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> My pleasure. Yeah, that space has been so nourishing and I've done it I've done 13 courses of Voice of My Womb. I'm in my 13th course right now. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like once a year for the past it, 13 years? It used to be twice a year for my three-month program. And then the last few years I do the nine-month program. So that's been once a year. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's cool. Because I was going to ask you what came before vow, but it sounds like just vow in a different form. Yeah, different forms. And before that, I was doing trial and error workshops with different people. And before that, I was working as a music therapist. So Voice of My Womb was really my first big offering of, you know, this is the synthesis of these different interests and creative discoveries and insights I've had and a way that I want to hold a field through a journey of a specific kind of map. But I am interested in to explore new maps. Of course, worked with the map of the womb and of the ages and stages along the lifetime based on the different initiations that women go through with their blood. Um, But I'm interested in new maps and I'm studying new maps and I'm exploring new maps and I'm excited to create new offerings from those maps as well. Mm -hmm. Has it always been online? Voice of My Womb, I had a couple that were in person that were the shorter, like the three weeks and six weeks, and I've done different kind of weekends, immersion stuff. But I started doing online in 2017 because I was just like, you know, I have a global audience and I want to work with people all over the place that don't want to drive somewhere. And there's benefits of doing things in person that are so connected, but there's really a lot of benefits from doing things online because people can be connected in a wider net and there's not the same kind of pressure and people can be in their own spaces. And so again, like everything else, there's gifts and challenges, of course, love being in person, but I love doing things online. It feels so easful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and especially when everything was in lockdown, it was nice to have something already in the groove to be able to welcome people into at home and cozy in their space and go deeper into like, what's it like to really be here? <laughs> Yeah, I think you said something about this, but I can't remember the way that you said it in class, but it just like, you know, make sure you're safe to sing. Like, is there someone else in the room or in the other room? Are you in earshot? Are you going to fully do it? Are you going to be worried about someone hearing you? And so I thought that was an interesting take on it. And even the toning practice that you teach, I still do that every day. I've been doing that for a while before I learned it from you, but I definitely have started in this place of like, okay, I need to make sure that no one can hear me. And I'm going to go into this certain corner of the house and close the door. And now I like have the door open and I'm like, the neighbors can hear me and I don't care. <laughs> Here's Maybe a dose. Be blessed by yeah. <laughs> Blessings. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. The incremental comfort <laughs> and ease that can come just like practice it more and more and then I notice for myself I don't really mind if other people are hearing me anymore as well just to yeah. practice habituating the system to feel safe letting sound be experienced yeah I would like opening for me personally opening up my voice that's something that I started doing in 2020 I worked with a coach named Hanalei maybe you know Hana, yeah. Yeah, I worked with Hanalei for a while. And I just remember part of the reason that I knew I needed to work with her is because I was in a group online course. And anytime I wanted to speak, I just like got the shot of adrenaline and my voice would shake and I'd be like, huh? And I'd just be asking a question. Like I wasn't even singing. <laughs> so I was like, okay, there's something here. <laughs> I need to work on this. But even when I was in class with you, I would get that rush of adrenaline. But we were singing, so it was like a little bit the next level up of like, oh God, I'm sharing my voice. But it's so healing and oh gosh, just listening to the songs that come through everyone else is it's a magic you have to experience. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna be 
teaching a class that's not just women-based. It'll be a six-week class on singing and songwriting and creative process that's coming up for Courting the Muse, which will be open to anyone. But we'll have that same kind of energy. So if you're interested to hear what that's like, we're starting soon. And it's a, I love the, the space that happens in a group writing practice because you can hone in on an energy and then everybody gets to have an experience of being in that space. And there is something really powerful that happens in a group field that is generative and opens things up in different kinds of ways. And then to hear everybody's unique vantage point on the same topic or the same prompt is so super fascinating because for me, I really get to see that like, oh, wow, one idea No one has the same idea, even if we have the same idea. (laughs) (laughs) We can share and flow and let words open doors that each of will open us individually into such deep places in our own unique spirit and access different things that then create this robust shared piece Mm -hmm. to have the medicine of like, wow, we just used the word inner child and all of these doors opened and all get to benefit from the lived experience of so many people that then creates this tapestry of human experience. Yeah, medicine is the best word to describe it because it's the song that you sit down and write is medicine, but then the ones that you hear other people sing is medicine. And I just remember so many times just having the feeling of just like, yes, yes, yes. While I was listening to someone else sing and just being so stoked that whatever that it came through, whatever it needed to be, just that it came through. And it was a really, really cool experience. So highly recommend. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Does your business side of things or maybe your offerings feed into your music writing process or your songwriting process? It totally does. I have written some interesting songs in the moment while I'm facilitating and guiding that I then have created into pieces that I record. You know, anytime I'm in a workshop experience where there is creative investigation that informs my creative process. And then especially now having worked with hundreds of women and even more artists across the board and hearing people's questions and thinking about things the people's questions even invoke me to try and respond and find answers that then inform how I'm going to go about writing a song. And oftentimes, even things that we're researching for a class will take me deeper into a topic about a song that maybe I already wrote a song about that, but now I'm getting a new angle and like, oh yeah, actually, this is this something that I want to go into. So there's been a direct correspondence of the classroom spaces that I get to facilitate and how that has impacted my own creative flow for sure. Mm -hmm. And not always, you know, there's some parts of my creative process that have nothing to do with what I'm teaching, but I think they're related in some level. And there's places that I'm just still in this other antenna that hasn't found a way to talk about itself or teach or facilitate other people into it. Mm -hmm. Antenna, what do you mean by that? I would say that I have different kind of antennas that are tuned into different radio stations or different muse Realms, (laughs) like the womb anthem kind of community spaces, that antenna is really strong. And I consider that type of songwriting, like ministry work, that is really about responding to a collective tone. And then there's parts of my antenna that are really about my own 
psyche unconscious work that sometimes I will facilitate process to get into that, but it's really about my parts work. And then there's some parts that have nothing to do with me that I feel like they come from a totally different reality and different characters and they just pop in and that's an antenna tone. I feel like when I aspire to speak to that place of listening, I feel like all the work that we do to empty out and listen we become available for those kinds of dreams to pop in, but they, those feel like real gifts. It's hard to know how to prepare someone to be receptive to those kinds of gifts. I love when those moments happen though. So yeah, I think it's like the radio antenna of <laughs> attuning to being in a creative flow moment, like ways of thinking or just how it manifests through. But yeah, I would say there's like one or two channels that they're on their own mission and it's hard for me to bring them into my teaching too much. So there is gifts for me and they're between me and God or me and the muse. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you for explaining that. That's interesting. It's reminding me. So I have a practice of every week I try to pick a favorite song and break it down because I'm just trying to work on my songwriting skills, which is something that was assigned to us by you but now I just try to do it weekly (laughs) you find that it's helping you know I do there's still a part of songwriting that feels very elusive to me because it's a song structure thing that my brain is trying to understand and then once I think I have one type of structure figured out then there's just like a whole different type of song and I'm just like oh But nobody hate me, but I'm a Taylor Swift fan. But one of the things that she said, I listened to this thing. She's somebody said, what's the process of writing a song? And she said, a song is like a pink sparkly cloud that descends on your brain. And if you don't reach out and catch it right then, it's gone forever. (laughs) And then it cut to somebody being like, I saw Taylor writing a song on a hang tissue once like she had blown her nose in and I was just laughing because that is how it is sometimes like I'll have to get my voice memos and be like oh my god the melody and the lyric and you know because it'll be gone even just an hour later you're like wait what was that and so I don't want to live with that regret (laughs) yeah yeah training yourself to catch them and I think the study of song structures really just prepares some part of you to have a peripheral understanding of what songs are and then it's like those clouds come in and I find it easier to grab them potentially even have a little bit of like framing of how they could land yeah I'm just like why am I having a chorus come in here and then the next day I'm like oh that's like a bridge but I don't know if it goes with the chorus from the other day I don't know what song that's a bridge for so yeah it's like rusty working on my skills there or I just write like a verse that's like 18 lines and you know my husband who's very musical he's like that doesn't make sense I'm sorry I find those moments, it's like sometimes you just get as much material down as possible and then you can whittle it away later. Exactly. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. If you can just do the brain dump, sometimes the sparkle mist, they all come with a bunch of other stuff and you just have to sweep it away. That's true. Get this 18 line down to eight. Good. <laughs> yeah, like take just the best little pieces. Yeah, exactly. It's a fun, fun process. <laughs> And then the whole part of actually sharing it is a whole other doorway. (laughs) 
an initiation. I think that's very much an interesting thing about being a business owner too. You can prepare and think about what you want to teach or what you want to share, what the content is or what the art is, and then getting to the place where I'm really going to birth and be seen and have the feedback loop. And it's like, we need it, but then it's such an important part of sharing, I think for some pieces. And then it is, it does expose you. You have the risks that come along with exposure and the resilience of what feedback do I take in to refine this thing? And what feedback do I leave in the pile of, oh, that exists in the 10%, you know, trolling area where everyone's going to have an opinion. We just don't take that with us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like that's troll food over there. And I think it takes a minute to build up the resilience to become one who can face the vulnerability, the tension, the divine tension of the exposure to be witnessed, to be seen, to be assessed, to be judged, to be received, to have glowing feedback, to have no feedback, to have shitty feedback. And all of it can be, you know, tending to the parts of us that are scared of those kinds of feedbacks or are scared to be seen or scared for it to go well, scared for it to not go well, or scared to face the gaps in our process that we don't know until we put something out there. All of that is part of the growing. (laughs) Yes, it is. And to kind of just to circle back to what you were saying about all the powerful tools we have now about creators, it's almost like there's a few generations here experiencing this, but I would say like baby boomer generation as a generation of people that are relatively unexpressed and didn't have a lot of safety to express themselves and then kind of projecting that onto their children except for you know we're all now in this process of reparenting ourselves and learning how to express ourselves and then gen z they're like fuck it you know we do express ourselves and so there's as many tools as we have for creation we have so many different tools to understand more about who we really are in a full expression like okay what do i look like fully expressed how devoted am i to getting there to that fully expressed place or am i okay with kind of staying in this tight knit version of myself that was maybe woven by my parents or am i ready to pull the threads out i don't know i could be wrong but to me it seems like that's a massive opportunity that is happening and that we're all kind of witnessing and that's part of the work is just to kind of like okay, I'm going to express myself in this way and see how it goes. And it can be really confronting. And sometimes it's a win and sometimes it's not. And it's, are you going to keep going? Are you devoted to seeing who you are when you fully show up and fully express yourself? Yeah, it's okay if you put a lot of things on the table and then you know, you can look back 10 years later and you have a couple really amazing things and the rest of it, it doesn't totally matter. Like it matters because it's a step in the process. But I think some people are trying to get every single thing that they do to be amazing. And I think that that can be a real obstacle to letting things flow and keep moving and letting things continue to unfold. I think also that what you're saying, it reminds me of this idea of like pendulating, like sometimes we stretch a little and then we have a little bit of a rubber band and then we have to stabilize and then we stretch a little more and then kind of come back and then restabilize. But every time we restabilize, sometimes we're a little more open or 
more assimilated into the places where we might have self-silenced before. Those places don't hold us back in the same way that they used to, or they become part of what we talk about. I know for myself, every time I go through like a big catastrophe of fear of like, well, I'm putting something out there that's um, feels edgy. And then I live, you know, and I'm fine. <laughs> that gives, that builds up a resilience and a confidence to become more experimental. And as one of my friends, Josh says, if you like everything that you're trying, then you're not being experimental enough, which is just a theme that I have continued to bring into my life over and over with all kinds of media. And it can be tricky with social media because it's such a peanut gallery, you know, everyone has some kind of things. And I think people take it way too seriously. And it makes sense because you have an audience and it's immediate impact and it can impact and it can be scary to put stuff out there in the midst of discovery. And yeah, I think I've changed a lot of how I explore social media lately of just letting it be an open journal. Like this gets to be a living journal of a creative process and a documentation of a story that I want to tell about my life. And even looking back years ago and like seeing who I was and seeing what I was experimenting with and even the cr things that I cringe at, it's like, uh, you know, it's sweet. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my younger self, she's so cute. <laughs> she's trying there. But knowing that that led to some really significant discoveries that have now become part of my archive that lives in the museum of my greater work, I feel grateful. Like I might not have opened that had I not taken a risk that and let myself be cringy and survived it. And it didn't matter <laughs> like the way that I was afraid that it would. Right. Yeah. That's powerful medicine for me right now because I've totally put myself in a box several different times in my life and thinking, well, like I have to be this thing, or I have to be this thing. And kind of where I'm at now is I'm kind of just be it all. <laughs> I have to pick like, so it's that immediacy that you're talking about that can be really scary to kind of mirror your friend Josh's quote. One of my professors in art school on the first day of class, he was like, do not try to impress me. You're going to make shit. Literally just allow yourself to make shit and i was like okay i can do that like let's just make something doesn't have to be the best thing ever make it yeah, bad. Be bad yeah make it bad because you can make something bad better but you know what i mean you can work with bad yeah <laughs> <laughs> at the very least you can reflect on why it's bad and then iterate again and you know what's really funny is that about this whole thing about what I do to myself is that I love shitty art. Like when you go to a cafe and there's the shittiest art, like painting, I'm just like, why do I love this so much? I just love it. Or like a display of somebody who did wine paint night at, at a wine bar and it's just like shitty peacocks. And I'm like, why do I love this so much? Like, why do you love it? I don't know. It's just like cute. I just love it. I know that it, like I saw this the other day at a wine bar, like shitty peacocks. And I know that if I went to this class, I would have tried to make the best peacock, but like these people didn't care. They just let it be bad. And I loved it. I, I enjoyed looking at it all. And you know, it's really, it's really interesting kind of what we do to ourselves when we're observing ourselves in the act of creation. I think a lot of those internalized pressures, right? The internalized social pressures we get to see like, wow, how influenced have I been by all of these cultural habits and trances of perfectionism? How have I actually taken that on 
as something I need to live up to? And how has that actually divorced me from what's true and joyful? Yeah. It sounds really fun to draw a shitty peacock at a wine tasting. Like that sounds that wholesome. Sound fun. How it sounds wholesome and fun. I was just like, <laughs> yeah, it exists because it brought pleasure for that moment. And sometimes art can be that. It doesn't always have to be amazing. <laughs> I think art can have a lot of different mandates. Mm. If you're an artist. You can have art moments that are really just about you fucking around and playing mm -hmm. and enjoying yourself and being able to take down the psychic tensions of living in a reality that is just swarming with sorrows and horrors. <laughs> Having like a little place. You're like, this was nice. I had a nice day. <laughs> like, great. Because those moments can take your stress levels down and can open your field of awareness to actually be able to show up with a creative orientation to some of the bigger challenges that we are facing and to start there like how am I going to solve the world's problems with my art like that's a lot of pressure <laughs> and I think that an artist mandate could become developed to the point where I was like wow I've really given myself enough time to get into the flow state and relax and discharge some of these energies that are in the way of being able to communicate something from my depths Mm -hmm. And then those things can emerge in response to the bigger processes. And now I'm contributing something as an artist and as part of my mandate to like say something viscerally in response. And you can do that as a bad artist as well. You know, you don't have to have a lot of skills to be able to respond to the truth in front of you. Totally. Yeah, I painted my way through lockdown and I just found the stack the other day. I just, it was just for me. I never showed anybody, but I looked through the stack and I was like, that's actually pretty cool. Like, <laughs> I like all these paintings. <laughs> that. But, you know, to someone else, they're probably really shitty. <laughs> <laughs> but I like them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, something I like to ask if you feel comfortable sharing is, you know, just tell me about the abundance that your business brings to your life how it supports you financially or whatever feels comfortable, whatever feels appropriate and uh, something inspiring to other goddess entrepreneurs that are listening. Because I know from a lot of the women that I talk to, they feel like they're not going to be able to go big. And it's not that you have to go big. It's just, you need to go enough, right? With their offering that is probably a soul based thing. And so there's kind of a cultural thing that's like going to be not worth that much. So what is your business worth in your life? Oh, yeah, it's an interesting question. It's an interesting thing that like, oh, it's not worth it to do it unless I'm going to go big. I think that there's something really interesting about having a desire to understand our potential. And I think we've been shown that like, wow, there's all these potentials and I want that. And desire is a really powerful motivator. Desire is so many things. <laughs> My business when I first started was, I think about myself at the shows that I put on as an artist, like gigs that I got as an songwriter early on, you know, didn't pay very much. It was slow going at first. When I first started putting music out there, I wasn't making a lot of money. You know, I was making hundreds of dollars, you know, like, wow. And on the low side of that, 
and streaming income wasn't going well. But then I started to teaching workshops. It was just like what came in was there. And I was grateful for it because there was an energy exchange and it was enough for me to take the next step. So it started off where I was, which was just an immediate Like, this is what I'm saying and inviting people into it. There is enough of a yes. But for many years, it was a lot of investment. And I think as an artist, again, I understood early on as an artist that if I was going to take my art life seriously as a business owner, that I might not turn a profit as an artist for a decade. And I just went into that knowing that that was probable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially in streaming and things like that, it, it can take a while. Oh, I mean, then, like Alex, he's like, when I put on my albums, I was like pennies. He's like, I couldn't even afford groceries. And he's now here we are like 10 years later and people actually listen to it and I make passive income. WTF. I needed that money back then. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm making a pretty significant chunk of passive income from my music streaming now, which slowly grew over years and is still growing. And it's enough to cover my mortgage, you know, and which is amazing to say like, wow, that was an investment from 10 years ago that is paying off now or five years ago, it's like the accumulative results of yeah. years working and then even working with as a facilitator and creating workshops and these kinds of things. I mean, I finance my art through Temple of the Muse and through now gigs. Like before, when I start first started getting gigs, I was getting $100 a gig and then slowly it was 200 And now it's a much more sustainable amount. And I can ask for amounts that feel really good for me because I don't take less gigs and I have more of an audience. And so there's a different kind of energy exchange that's available, but it wasn't at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so learning as I went to that as a cumulative energy and a, a result of sustained effort over time and sustained value that I offer my community because I'm putting out art on a regular basis. I'm building value into my business. I'm mm-hmm. building trust with my audience as an ongoing conversation. And I'm becoming more bold and brave in my disclosures about my process. So hopefully I'm letting go increasingly of more of the masks that I accumulated as a young person to just be in the raw humanity and being able to really connect with people that want to come and learn and play and grow. And that helps me to be able to finance my art world and support the community of artists that collaborate with me and helping the visions come through. So my business is supporting me completely. I feel my business is thriving. It's not like huge amounts, but I definitely have a six figure business at this time. And I'm grateful for that. And at this time I put everything back into the art. So I don't consider that money to be mine. I consider it to be coming as a result in response to me wanting to feed the community with beauty. And so I reinvest everything into my art community. That's amazing. Good job, Maria. I'm proud of you. And if anyone who's (laughs) listening, if you haven't seen Maria's beautiful music videos or listened to her music, the music videos are just like such a beautiful extension of the songs. And I can just tell you're having so much fun. (laughs) And I'm just having a blast. I'm (laughs) like cheering you on every time I see a video. I'm just like, yes. 
That's very inspiring to watch. And I thank you for doing it and being all in and being unapologetic about it, because at least that's how I see you. I don't know if you see yourself in that way, like unapologetic. That's just the word I'm choosing, but it's relentless. <laughs> I'd go relentless. <laughs> I think I'm not quite unapologetic. I think I'm still a little apologetic. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm working on allowing the apologies and the disclaimers to fall away. <laughs> but I would say that I'm relentless. That's for sure. Yeah. I have unscratchable itch about. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's so epic. It's epic. Yeah. So any shadows? Has like being an entrepreneur brought up any major shadows for you? For sure. <laughs> oh, man. Can you name I one? I consider entrepreneurship Again, I took on this idea <laughs> that creative process was a path of spiritual development and maturity, like maturing as an adult. Mm -hmm. And that similar with my business, which is an extension of my creative path, that this is going to be a path of embodiment and exercise in applying my principles and my values in the world as a way to bring more beauty into the world. And yeah, that has come up with hella shadows. I would say some of the biggest shadows I've encountered along the way have been all kinds of stuff having to do with self-esteem, false self-images appearing true, identity structures and strategies that were holding me captive in ways of being that were incongruent, people-pleasing, got to really discover my people pleasing and my fear of being a dissenting voice in a situation when I didn't like something that was going on and having to negotiate with the parts of me that were self-silencing and like self-shaming, all kinds of codependency stuff has emerged and revealed over the years uh, around collaborations and just ways that I was uh, in shadow around places that I wasn't being fully honest with myself and then in dynamics where I wasn't able to fully contribute transparently and wholeheartedly to the conversation because I was still holding tension in my body in ways that I thought were going to keep me safe and us safe and weren't. And so those were all really painful encounters. I would say also just ways that I was leaking energy through holding too many things at the same time and not having enough clarity and discernment of what was really mine to hold and what I wanted to focus on. And so overdoing, like I had a lot of shadows around over-functioning mm. and hyper-functioning because it was scary for me to slow down and say no. And I was doing it to avoid bigger griefs in my life and bigger hidden ruptures of trust in my lived experience. And so I was hyper-functioning in all these ways to avoid that. And then some of those pieces crashed and I got to encounter those big griefs and, and the the personality styles that I accumulated to to hold at bay the deeper fears that I was hiding from. Those are some of the big shadows. And like I'd say like the big shadow is perfectionism. Perfectionism in the Western world, I think, is a virus and it has created a lot of suffering and mental structures for people that are causing a lot of rifts. And for me, it's an ongoing process of letting myself decompose to the ways that I've internalized. And I think even just engaging in 
modern life. This is not necessarily about my business and my art, but just living as a modern person and living inside of structures that are extractive and incongruent with the fields of energy that are life-giving. I think I'm constantly in working and dancing with the shadows of how those systems operate in my life unconsciously and finding myself having to ongoingly reorganize my approaches and my why and why I'm investing in certain strategies and what is my actual motivation. Are those motivations coming from fear of not having enough and scarcity in the system that's being constantly projected? Or is it really coming from a place of overflow and wanting to give this as a gift. And it's tricky because those aren't black or white things. Sometimes think something that is full of beauty and medicine is also connected to an integrated shadow pieces. And it's just like the ongoing mirror. That's why I was saying Instagram is such an interesting thing because, you know, 10 years of Instagram, I can see all of these like beautiful things I wanted to give. And then all of these, you know, shadowy places too and motivations that I wasn't 100% attentive. I didn't have the sight for them and I do now and I don't care as much now like it's oh <laughs> uh, yeah here's my motivation oh and it's also got this egotistical motivation oh well you know like there's just a little bit more permission for my less mature parts to still be part of my life and not have to shame them or contract or always control that you know just let it mm -hmm. be a little more human and fluid yeah it is a dance that we're all doing. <laughs> I mean, for me, the dance is this constant because I'm just like a rebel at heart. I just want to say fuck everything, especially like all the things that you're talking, like the systematic things that are constantly infiltrating. And so there's a battle sometimes that's like when I have an offering or something that I want to put out where I'm just like, am I making myself into a commodity? And I'm only good if I make money or I'm only good if my art or my offering makes money. Like, I don't know. So, but that's part of, you know, that's never going to go away. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just being with the territory. And so how do we not over identify, like too gripped on the identity pieces that show up with that. And I think that's the thing of like value. Where am I sourcing value from? Mm -hmm. Because there's all kinds of things to source value from. Am I sourcing value from my own authentic human values and joy and giving from that place? Or am I sourcing value from what these people are saying in response to that? And I think we can participate in value sharing and still be a part of this way and make slow changes together without having to say fuck everything and like burn the whole thing down. Although if the wave comes when enough people are saying fuck it and burn it all down, you know, I'll bring my matches. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I got some logs for that fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, this has been amazing, Maria. I super appreciate you sitting down with me today and yeah if you could just take a moment to share where people can find you if you have any offerings that you want to talk about with my community yeah well first and foremost you can come check out maria-stark.com which is my website with my music and my videos and my photography and collaborations there and then on spotify of course i've got all my music all the places you stream music, come check out the songs, add them to your playlists. And then Temple of the Muse, 
which is my online learning community for the bardic arts and womb wisdom and cyclical wisdom and creative process. And I have a course coming up that's going to be six weeks called Courting the Muse, where I'll take a, a cohort through a journey of creative process, songwriting, studio process. We have a bunch of videos that were recorded in the studio while we were making songs and assembling mm. them with my producer, Andy Senzak. And those are really special that are be included in this time. And you can check out all the news about Courting the Muse on templeofthemuse.com. Awesome. Super cool. That sounds a really cool offering. So thank you for just putting out your heart offerings into the world and having them be just these vehicles for transformation for other people. It's really powerful, powerful stuff. My pleasure. So happy that you've been a part of the Temple of the Muse and that we got to share a little deeper here with your community. Thank you so much. Wow, what an awesome episode. As usual, thank you so much for tuning in. Blessings to you and yours. And I'll see you next week.